Sticks and stones may break my bones. What's the rest of that? But words will never hurt me. Is that true? Since we pulled apart, it is better to give than to receive last week. I thought I would continue in this series of deconstructing well-known phrases with this one. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Because again, on the surface, this appears to be true. Words alone cannot break my bones, but words can influence how people think, and what people think influence what they do, how they act. So to separate words from actions, just as to separate giving from receiving as if they are two cleanly separated things that exist in isolation from each other, it's just not realistic. And if it were even remotely true that words were powerless to hurt us or help us, I'll get to that in a minute, if it were true that words cannot hurt us, it would be truly puzzling to witness the intense controversies that swirl around words at this point in time. The intense controversies swirling around library books and history lessons and gag orders and preferred pronouns and hate speech and misrepresentation and podcast pundits and political correctness, and whiteness, and wokeness, and cancel culture, and censors in the House, and bullies in the Congress, and a presidential candidate who chooses this precise term for his political opponents and delivers it clearly and almost gleefully vermin. It's all just words. But words can cause harm intentionally or unintentionally. Words can dehumanize intentionally or unintentionally. Words can exclude people intentionally or unintentionally. Words can separate us from one another intentionally or unintentionally. Here's the good news. We can learn, we can practice a language of inclusion. It's a language. It's still made up of words, and words are imperfect tools, but we are learning all the time ways in which we can shape our words to communicate respect and acceptance and affirmation and kindness a language that recognizes each person as the author of their own unfolding, that encourages another to speak the truth of who they are and allows us the opportunity to listen deeply. Words can be used to heal. Words can affirm another's humanity and beauty. Words can be inclusive. Words can help to deepen connections between people and to all of life. And these attempts to learn and practice a language of inclusion are often dismissed 
as political correctness or wokeness or DEI or even cancel culture as some consider this censorship an unjust and oppressive restriction on talking the way they want to talk. And I have little doubt that there are stumbles and mistakes in how we approach this, but I think the major hesitation and resistance, I know I sometimes feel this within myself, there is a fear that stems from my own insecurity in learning a new language. It is one thing to learn about something, to start with ignorance and begin that slow journey of education. It is another to engage that journey in public, explicitly in relationship, making mistakes and fumbling for words and saying the wrong thing in the wrong way with the wrong pronunciation in front of many witnesses, right? There is a fear that I will confuse or inadvertently offend someone in my clumsiness, but even more primal is my fear, a certainty that I will embarrass myself as I struggle to understand and perform what I feel like I should know. And because I have spent a good share of my life grappling with words and have felt a certain sense of accomplishment at times with the ways I can put words together, to think of starting from scratch from a place of complete ignorance to begin again feels, well, scary. It's only words, but words matter. Words can hurt, and they can also help. They can heal. This is a time in which the power of words to introduce and justify and explain ideas matters, Rebecca Solnit writes, and that power is tangible in the changes at work. And there are changes at work which result in the controversies I mentioned earlier. And I hear people Many times, people from my older white, male, cisgender, heterosexual peer group complaining about those changes. And as silly and self-absorbed and self-protective and, well, cowardly as my own fears are about the vulnerability I imagine experiencing in the process of learning a new language, I have to wonder if that is a piece of what is at play with the changing cultural language of our time. The power of words is tangible in the changes at work. And as the words change, I must learn them. And I might use them incorrectly. And I might inadvertently offend someone. And worse, I might embarrass myself, you see. Can't we all just say what we mean to say? But that is the question, right? What is it we mean to say and how do we best express it? And do we wish to respect others in the ways in which we express what we mean to say? Now, granted, to follow this line of thought, I would have to allow for the fact that I need to learn, that I don't know it all already that I need to learn some things about the language I use from your point of view and not rely solely on mine. I may need to learn a new language 
or certainly a new way to employ the language that I know. But rather than face that vulnerability, many choose to attack the whole project. It is like saying, Spanish is a stupid language anyway. <laughs> or complaining that they won't let me speak English in my French class. Whatever happened to free speech? Or deciding that rather than taking the risk of inadvertently offending someone with my clumsy use of a new language, I opt rather to purposely offend them with the language I know, which doesn't avoid the offense, but does at least make me feel in control. Because that's a part of it, right? For me and my aforementioned peer group especially, we are used to being in control sometimes without it being even apparent to us. Certainly without it being straightforwardly acknowledged by us. But when something like the way we use words gets challenged and we are made to feel uncomfortable about our proficiency in a new language of inclusion, we bristle not against the discomfort, that would be petty after all. No, instead we cry out against the way it restricts our freedom. Really? Freedom? What if we stop looking at this as an attempt to restrict language and rather as a new vocabulary of kindness that allows us to truly include all those who we have always meant to include when we say we? All those we meant to include but did not have the words or the information or the understanding to do so. Who would not want to practice a vocabulary of kindness? And I know that can sound a little too cute. Kindness, really? It's a little lame, considering the state of the world, considering the state of our lives. But it all depends on how we define kindness. I was reminded of words shared by my dear friend and colleague, Reverend Jan Christian, long ago at my installation service here in 2013. It was her charge to the minister. She said, kindness and niceness are not the same thing. And maybe you get that, she said to me, but the fact that you hail from Minnesota makes me think that it's not a waste of time to remind you. <laughs> She's nothing if not direct. She went on to say, nice can be the enemy of kindness the way that perfection can be the enemy of good. Kindness is the genuine article. Kindness has faith in people. It comes from a place of compassion. Nice puts a priority on keeping the peace instead of creating the beloved community. Nice is, in many cases, patronizing. It assumes people can't handle the truth, and so it uses that as an excuse to not speak truth. 
and then we wonder why we don't feel closer to people or why our relationships go kaflooey. It's because we are being nice instead of kind. You do not need nice in your ministry, she said to me. And just so, we do not need a vocabulary of niceness. A vocabulary of niceness would use words to cover up differences rather than address them. A vocabulary of niceness would use words to protect myself rather than to risk vulnerability. A vocabulary of niceness uses words to avoid rather than to engage. It may not be nice, but it is kind to confront abuse and abusers. It is kind to refuse euphemisms for war crimes and genocide wherever they occur. It is kind to challenge the transphobic rhetoric and hysteria that all too often leads to the reading of names, the commemoration of lives violently and unforgivably taken each year. It is kind not to create comfort and contentment with what is, but to invite our compassionate attention toward what can be. The power of words to introduce and justify and explain ideas matters, and that power is tangible in the changes at work. Words can hurt. Words can heal. Words can inflame hatred or they can call forth compassion as we continue to learn and practice a vocabulary of kindness and work toward a world where there is more love, more justice, more peace, and more joy. So may it be.